Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. Um, okay, in my office, <clears throat> I have a deer head. And I don't hunt. And if you want to talk to me about my personal views on guns, we can. Um, uh, but it would not lead you to think that I would have a deer head in my office. We'll cut to the chase. And, uh, and anyway, I came to, to get this deer head because my wife's grandparents are very dear to her. Uh, and good night. Um, and <laughs> so when her, uh, her, her grandfather and then her grandmother uh, passed away, she inherited this deer head, which she which must stay in our family, but she wants no part of in our house. So now it is in my office on the ground. Not sure I really wanted it, but there it is. And um, I'm sure we could go through with each of you and I could say, what did you get from your parents? You know, like, what did your parents pass down to you? And you could probably go through all kinds of things. Some things that you might, you might be a deer head person and just feel like that's the vibe that you want for your apartment. Um, you might have gotten, you know, your, uh, your dad's hair, or lack thereof, or your mom's singing voice. Um, you probably got some stuff also from your parents that you didn't really want. You might have got a temper from your parents, you know. You might have gotten uh, anxieties about certain things from your parents. Um, you might have gotten really unfair expectations from your parents about what your body looks like. Uh, you might have gotten really unfair expectations from your parents about what you're going to do with your future or your performance about many things. Also, Sam Helm's parents are here, so none of this applies to you, by the way. Um, uh, we all got things from our parents, and they, they are sort of like this backpack you know, that we wear all the time that are part of our lives, but we don't necessarily know what to do with all that, that baggage, right? And um, I'm convinced that the family that you grew up in is the strongest indicator of how you view a relationship with God, um, for, for good or for ill. And uh, tonight we're going to look at this passage in Mark chapter 3, where uh, the Lord Jesus is actually interacting with his own family, with his mom and with his brothers. And I hope that by studying this, we can begin to get a sense of what is this relationship with my parents and um, how does that affect my relationship with God? So we're going to dive in here. I'm going to look in two passages in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Uh, Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. There were so many people around Jesus that they couldn't even stop for a meal. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And then I'm jumping down to verse 31. And his mother and brothers, this is later on, he's teaching another time. His mother and brothers came... And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
Uh, so the word of God, so I'm going to stop and ask for him to bless it as we consider it together. Uh, Father, we thank you that we um, can stop. It's been a weird week. Been, you know, last week was weird. Um, classes were canceled. Everyone's trying to get back into a rhythm. And Lord, we pause now to take a breath and to hear from you. And whether, Lord, um, someone is here tonight and they're like, really excited for that, or someone that's like, that's really weird, or someone that has uh, a lot of distractions, someone that's carrying a lot of uh, wounds, Lord, um, you know each of us, and you know how to speak to each of us, so we just ask that you would be near us. And Lord, even as we stop to pray, we do remember um, our sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers that um, are still displaced by waters, and ask, Lord, that you would be kind to them, that you would restore um, uh, what has been damaged and what has been lost, and Lord, that many would would trust in you and find comfort uh, in you in this time. Lord, be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So usually when I'm talking with somebody, I, I'm missing a disclaimer, a couple of disclaimers. One, I'm probably not going to super vulnerable about my own family stuff. And so I just, I feel safe to do that. I appreciate you guys um, hearing. And the reason I do that is, is not to be uh, indulgent about my own family um, uh, background and wounds from my family, but just um, to make a point of contact, you know, with you all. And uh, some, some really good counselors have helped me through this, counselors that I both know and I've listened to, and it's a huge plug for counseling if this sort of draws up stuff for you. But when I talk to people generally and they're talking about things that are going on in their life or things that are going on in the world, usually the questions that I hear are like, why is God doing this? Or why is God allowing this thing to happen to me? Or why is God allowing this thing to happen in the world? And uh, a question that I'm always back in re- asking back in response when people are talking about their life is, what do you think God thinks about that thing going on with you? Or how does God feel about you or feel about what's happened to you or feel about what you've done? Because really what that question, that question does, and those are all really valid questions, those are all questions that are seeking an understanding of God, is trying to push in and begin to, to, to consider, when we think about our family, and we think about our experience in our family, if it was, whether it was really great or really hard, it's a really helpful question to say, what does God think about that experience? And what is he going to do about that? And uh, in this passage, the first thing I want to look at with you is how Jesus addresses the reality of being in a family. Okay? Even if your family is broken, you're from a family. You have a family that you come through and come from. And so did Jesus. He is at home. And he's working, he's following this call of God on his life. He's teaching people, he's healing people, he's doing these great works in people's lives. But his family doesn't seem to understand or really appreciate this call from God on him. There doesn't seem to be a lot of questioning from his family about what is it that's making Jesus so passionate about these people that he's skipping meals for it. Instead they say, he's out of his mind, he's crazy, we need to go get him and bring him home and bring him to his senses. And the second passage is like they're, they're, they're staging this like this intervention for him, you know, like we're going to wait outside and you come outside and we'll talk to you when you're not with your friends, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll show you what's up. Um, what I find really uh, helpful and healing about reading these two passages, particularly, they, they don't seem that important, maybe. But Jesus was deeply misunderstood by his own family. He was deeply um, uh, 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 his, his, his motives were questioned by his family. 
His understanding of life was questioned by his family. Their expectations for him um, led them to a place where they actually opposed the things that he was doing and stood in the way of what he was doing because their expectations didn't align with what Jesus was doing and what God was doing in Jesus. Their sin, we could say, the parts of them that were broken hurt Jesus and affected the way that he was able to minister to other people. And what's more wild than that, and we think that, okay, the Lord Jesus, he, he grew up in this family. Mary and Joseph were his parents. He had several brothers and sisters. He grew up in a family. But before Jesus was placed into, you know, we would say incarnated and put on flesh in the womb of this woman named Mary, he had actually enjoyed a perfect family. God the Son had dwelt with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in this beautiful mystery that we call God, um, the Trinity. And it was, a, it was a deeply loving and supportive and encouraging relationship where each of those members were uniquely prized and appreciated and glorified and loved for who they were. And yet Jesus finds himself in this family Families like we know, families that squabble, families that have different expectations for who we're supposed to be. And that was quite a change for him. And uh, if we think about, about our families growing up, I think that um, even if our family was pretty stable and whole, that there's, there's things um, that are challenging um, about our families. And you know how powerful it is, especially if you come from a broken family. So when my... Um, my mom uh, met my dad. She was a late teenager. They worked together, and he was in college, and uh, it wasn't going so well for him in college, and he had taken a job working at what was the precursor to Chuck E. Cheese, and um, it was called Showbiz Pizza Place in Macon, Georgia, and uh, they met, and they had a relationship. Uh, they were dating, and my mom ended up getting pregnant, and uh, they, they got married. My dad was pretty excited about that at first. And uh, they got married, and before I was one year old, uh, they had split. And over the next couple of years, increasingly, my dad was just more and more out of the picture. Um, and uh, when I've shared this story before, but when we were having our, we, we really kind of lost touch so much so that, like, when we were having our first child, my wife and I, who's she's seven now, my wife prevailed on me to call my dad and tell him. She was like, "You should." And I called him, and basically that was the one time we've talked in like the last 15 years. And he was kind of like, I'm just not interested in this relationship. You know, what happened with your mom was a mistake. It was a huge mistake. Which, you know, the subtext of that is like, you're a huge mistake. And that's not what he was saying, but it was, it was what he was saying. Um, we, can, we can be okay, everybody. This is me, this is my story, so we're okay. Okay, all right. Um, I'm okay, you're okay. All right. Um, and when somebody... Um, if I share that story with somebody whose dad sort of abandoned them, it's a really powerful moment. You know how that is. If you experience something that's really hard and you share it with someone and they, and they, and they care for you, that's great. But when they say, they can say like, yeah, me too. Like, I know what that feels like. I've been there. That's really deeply powerful. A friend of mine today um, texted me. Uh, I really love the Beatles. And he was texting me um, this John Lennon song. And this, we were talking about how great of a song this is. And uh, it's a John Lennon song called Mother that he um, wrote after the Beatles had broken up when he was playing with his wife and they had a record called Plastic Ono Bandit. It's a great record. But this song, it's really raw. And um, the first line, the first stanza goes, Mother, you had me, but I never had you. I wanted you, but you didn't want me. 
And then he says goodbye to his mother. And then he says, Father, you left me, but I never left you. I needed you, but you didn't need me. And listening to that song is really powerful. I was like both saddened by it, but also this, this feeling of like, I'm connecting with John Lynn, like he gets it. Like he's kind of saying me too, and I could say me too to him. And you know how powerful that can be as someone who's been abandoned. Um, and what's amazing to me in this passage is that Jesus is actually deeply empathetic to your family struggle. Uh, the God who spoke all things into existence and maintains them by his power says, like, I really know what it's like to just really be misunderstood by your parents. For your parents to have competing agendas for your life. To actually bear wounds of your parents' sin in your life. Jesus relates to that reality deeply. But the good news is beyond that, that's, that's kind of good enough in its own to think like God actually doesn't just care, but he relates. But the good news here is, is Jesus' response in verses 34 and 35. It sounds kind of harsh at first, but his parents come, his, his mom and his brothers come, and he says, who are my mother and brothers? And he says, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It sounds harsh at first, like he's rejecting his family, but what he's saying is this, is um, God, when God comes to work in someone's life and the plan and action of Jesus is actually to adopt people into a new family, into a full and beautiful and robust family. He says, anyone that does the will of God, and what the will of God is, what he's speaking about here, is someone that comes to Jesus by faith and begins to trust Jesus. Jesus says, Those people are my mother and sisters and brothers. We've been talking about sort of recalibrating and trying to re-understand a relationship with God here at RUF. And I think most of us think, if we think about what does it mean to know Jesus, we think Jesus sort of saves me from my bad things and takes me to a good place. But the reality is so much deeper and more full and profound and beautiful, which is when you come to know Jesus by faith, when you say yes to Jesus... He unites you to himself in a way that can never be broken so that everything that is true of him becomes true of you. And if he is God's son and you are united to him, you are adopted by God's grace into his family and you become a child of God. That you become someone who is deeply beloved and accepted and wanted in a family, like, did you like, long to feel, even, even when your family is great, like, long to feel this really deeply wanted by your family? God offers that to us in Jesus. He adopts us into his family. And many, many religious traditions will, might give you a knowledge of God or an experience of the divine. But the good news of Jesus is full adoption as a daughter or a son of God. Um, in Galatians chapter 4, which I have on the, on the screen as well. I think it should be the next one. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, in the same way, uh, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which that word means like daddy or papa. So that you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then an heir through God. And I know it's weird to hear a son. You're like, well, what about daughters? Right? Culturally, daughters would not have had as many inheritance rights as sons, especially the firstborn son. And what Paul is getting at here is that any woman or man that puts their faith in God becomes a daughter or son of God, but not a secondary child. Someone who gets everything that God has for a person. He offers to you when you come to faith in Jesus. And he lays it before you. Everyone that comes to him. And that new family changes everything about yours. And here's why. When you're a child of the king and you come into the king's court, people don't just walk up to the throne. You know what I'm saying? People come in, they, they bow, they grovel. They're invited in. But when a child comes into the throne, the child just busts through the door, they run up and they jump into their daddy's lap, right? And their daddy will stop whatever's going on with this seemingly important person to embrace their child. And every time you turn to God, no matter what, you, what nasty thing you've gone into, he receives you that way. And Paul says, you're either a son or a slave. And when you look at God and you relate to God, which one are you? How do you see your relationship with God? This changes everything about our families. The, a few weeks ago, I was talking to um, uh, a guy, and he was, he was sort of wrestling through saying, I, I want to I restart my relationship with God. And I, I was asking why, and he had got, had a couple of, of hard years by his own estimation. But he had done some things that he was deeply ashamed of. And he saw those as like dark years, and he's like, but I'm done with that. I'm washing my hands with that. I'm going to start over. And I said, uh, what felt like a pretty innocent question, like, well, what happened when you told your dad? And uh, he said, well, I haven't ever told my dad. I said, why? And he said, I just couldn't. Like, he would be too disappointed with me. Like, he would be too ashamed of me. I couldn't tell him that. And I said, well, what do you, and this is the question, right? What does God think about your bad couple years? And I don't, I'm not sure that he had ever thought about that question. He said, I mean, I guess he's just disappointed and ashamed too, right? Um, because what he had learned about God came from his own dad. And I had the privilege in that moment to say, your father in heaven is not disappointed with you. Like, he's not ashamed of you. Um, though our, our parents fail and we fail as parents, um, our father adopts us into his family, and he's not like that. He longs to be with us. I told him the story that Jesus tells of, of, of a son that had run away, and when he comes back to his father groveling, he thinks he's going to beg for a job, and his father runs out to him, and he throws himself on his neck, and he cries on him, and he puts a ring on his finger, and he throws a huge feast, and he invites him in, and that's how God receives us as his children. And it's interesting when he says, when Jesus says to his, who are my mother and brothers, the person that does the will of God, that's my mother and sister and brother. What's kind of cool about that is that Mary, his mother, didn't like bring Jesus into her family. Like Jesus brought his mother and his brothers into his family. Um, there's this ancient African church father named Augustine. And I love what he said. He said, Mary is more blessed in receiving the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. For to the one who said, Blessed is the womb which bore you, he himself answered, Blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus loved and adopted his own family into his family by his grace. Um, what that means for you and for your family, I need to type my stuff out, so I'm like trying to read my own handwriting. Um, 
what that means for you and for your family, if that Jesus deeply empathizes with what you're, what you're going through and he adopts you into a new family where you are a delighted child of God, which can never change, by the way. Um, Jesus offers us freedom from slavery, freedom from being a slave to, bring, to being a, a son and a daughter of God. And I just really want to point out three things. Um, Jesus by adopting us into his family, frees us from the wounds and the absences left by our family. Um, When we think about our own family story and the wounds that we carry um, from that, um, Jesus promises freedom from those things. Um, That doesn't mean that they go away. Uh, The Lord Jesus went to the cross and the, the wounds and the scars that he bore in his body, he still has in his body now in heaven. He took woundedness with him to the throne room of God, and it's acceptable to God. And the scars that you have from your family will always remain. Like the, the wound of my um, you know, dad's absence is never just going to go away. Um, but God provides a path of healing for his people um, by adopting us into God's family. And a big part of what that looks like is recognizing the people that God brings into your life in his body, the church. Um, <laughs> so, when, again, when we were pregnant with our, with our first daughter, uh, I sat down with this pastor. Pastors can really suck. And, uh, and I sat down with this pastor. And, you know, I'm super awkward with, like, men, authority figure men, you know. And uh, but I was hoping to get an amen on that. But, um, <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, so he was like, so what was your dad like? We're like eating breakfast. And I was like, well, uh, it's complicated. And uh, he was like, got eggs in his mouth. He's like, dude, how do you think you could ever be a father if you didn't have a father? And I was like, been asking myself the same question. You know? um, uh, wondering about that myself. And I left that conversation being like, number one, never going to tell you anything. And... Uh, <laughs> Number two, just sort of deeply, uh, you know, just discouraged, you know. And uh, a couple of days later, I was talking to another pastor who's one of the people that God just in his grace has just had just put in my path. Not to in any way to replace my dad, but to begin to heal that wound by being like a father in my life. And uh, I told him that story and he said, you know, that makes me really sad. He said, you know, because God has taught me so much through more through negative examples than he has through positive examples. And just that, that speaking of that, just like good and kind word, God was really healing that wound. Someone had pressed on that wound and he had brought this father along. Um, This is an adoption issue here. Recognizing that there are people that God has placed in your life to surround you with a family that, again, is never going to, to take away the scar but to begin to, to provide healing, that God puts mothers and sisters and brothers and fathers around us. Um, one of the most deeply healing relationships that I've had with someone um, uh, is with our old intern, Garrett, who a lot of you know. And part of the reason why we connected is that we had the same dad story. And he's 10 years younger than me, at least. And just the healing of that relationship where it felt like an older brother and a younger brother, man, it was so deeply healing. And I know it was healing for him, but it's work. 
Like it's recognizing and finding those relationships and knowing that God's healing you through them. If you've ever been to counseling or physical therapy, you know healing is work. So God provides freedom from our wounds and the absences by adopting us into his family and providing real, tangible people in our lives. But God also provides freedom from generational sin and cycles. And what I mean by that is things that are handed down in your family that are broken. They don't just get fixed, you know. It's really powerful. I, I love when we go to, to work in Chattanooga over spring break because um, the group that we work with, Hope for the Inner City, um, their mission is really to see generational poverty changed in people's lives where people that begin to come to a place out of poverty into a place of dignity and self-sustaining, that, has gener- that breaks generational cycles, right? And the Bible is a story of God redeeming families from brokenness that's been passed down to them. Um, there's this church in Memphis called Independent Prez. And a few years ago, I was really amazed because the church was founded because the, the church that they were part of wanted to integrate the church racially. And so this church just sort of spun off and said, ah, well, you guys can integrate, but we're going to kind of keep doing our whites only thing. And we're going to have a school so we don't have to worry about integrating schools. Just deeply broken and awful, uh, the original sin of, of, of America, uh, you know, white supremacy and racism. And a few years ago, like the church as a body, instead of saying like, hey, we're going to get better, they just said like, we did that. And they acknowledged it publicly. And they repented and began the long and difficult work of apologizing to their community for the pain that they had caused. And what that did, that little moment, that doesn't fix everything. This is what white people say like, oh, sorry. It's not like, we're good. No, we're great. Um, no began to began the beginning of the process to bring shalom and peace and healing to that community and to that family from that generational sin. And when I think about generational sin and cycles, I think about my poor kids. Um, and my buddy always says that like some people have a college fund, but we have a counseling fund, um, which is kind of funny, but also like, you know, and, um, <laughs> and I think about my children and I'm like mostly sad Sometimes when I think about this, because I'm like, man, they really, you just can't like shield your kids from your crap, you know, and uh, like they have to deal with it. And that's why we just like try to apologize every day about everything. (laughs) And um, but one thing that God, by his grace, is doing in my family is breaking the generational sin um, of abandonment, of father abandonment, which has been a huge pattern in my family's life. It was a pattern in my mom's life. My mom's an amazing person. She raised me by herself. Um, but, but just abandonment and divorce in my family, that has always been a pattern. Like, God has broken that in one generation in my family. Like, I'm never going to leave my children. I'm not going to leave my wife. Um, like, they deserve that. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. And when God adopts you into his family, the good news is that you can pursue the future and relationships with hope that he wants to break generational patterns and cycles in your family. I'm not saying that just because it happened in my fam to me, but I'm saying it can happen because it did happen to me. Like I didn't like get my stuff together, you know. God intervened in his kindness and is blessing my children. Like all three of my children know Jesus. I never went to church as a kid. Um and it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. And that means that like, the best days for you and for your family are not behind you if you're in God's family. 
Like the best days of your family are always ahead. That you can move forward with hope. And the last thing is this, and I'll end on this because I'm getting close to my time. I could, you could probably tell I could talk about this for a long time. But um, when God adopts you into his family, he gives you freedom from your family's expectations. And um, Jesus' family's expectations clearly did not align with God's call on his life. Especially when he went to the cross. I mean, everyone was like, bro, <laughs> bad, bad idea, you know. <laughs> Even like Peter, like his best friend was like, this is not strategy-wise, going and dying is not going to be to help our cause here. Okay. Um, and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know? um, but Jesus, when his, his family's expectations didn't align with God's call in his life, he didn't compromise following and obeying God to meet his family's wishes or expectations. So he didn't say, you know what? Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna follow what God's called me to because I don't want to disappoint you. He was willing to say to to invite their disappointment in that way. Um, but he also didn't use their failings as an excuse to withhold love from them. Uh, the last passage here is from First Peter, uh, chapter two, and uh, Peter says this: For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And what Peter is saying there is that when Jesus was mocked and opposed, he didn't mock and oppose back. He entrusted himself to God and he honored his family. At the cross, moments before his, je- his death, Jesus looked down to see his mother who was alone, who was widowed. And he, from the cross, took care of her. He found his fa- apostle John. He said, this is your mother now. And this is your son. He, he cared for his family. He, he loved them. He honored them. And whether it's your culture, your tradition, your family... When you follow Jesus, you're called to honor your mother and father, but to obey God. That you can actually honor your parents, yet obey God. Jesus frees you by adopting you into his family to love your family. Not to lose yourself to them or to lash out or abandon them, which continues the cycle always. But he gives you freedom to say, you, you fail me and I can't do doing what you want me to do would be disobeying God. But I can still honor you. I can speak well of you. I can recognize my role in in this family and I can fulfill it well. Uh, I can speak kindly to you. I can obey you in the ways that I need to obey you. But we honor our parents and we obey God. I wanted to close with a story. Um, There's this guy named Henry Light. And uh, he wrote a, 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 a hymn and it's called Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And uh, Henry Light's story was that his dad preferred drinking and hunting to being a dad. So he just dropped his kids off at boarding school. And his, and his mom died uh, soon thereafter. He was totally abandoned by his father. But later on, he came to faith in Jesus. And part of that was by this pastor that he knew that took an interest in him and brought him into his family. Again, God providing those, those, those healers to our family. But this is what he writes, and I just want to leave, leave us with this. 
in that hymn about God. He says, Father like he tends and spares us. Well our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us. Rescues us from all our foes. I'm amazed that someone who is abandoned by their father can speak about God as a tender father who knows our feeble frame. And the reason why he can do that is because he's come to know God as a father who loves him. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, just have a real sense. Actually, uh, before we pray, this is going to be weird. Um, You can come up here. It's cool. Um, This is going to be weird. And if you're uncomfortable with it, that's fine. Um, But I'm going to pray. And I'm actually going to ask if you would just grab hands with the person next to you. Um, Just because... It's just a little positive, safe human interaction, okay? <laughs> I'll hold your hand, Morgan. All right, let's pray. Father, we, um, uh, we come tonight with a lot of baggage, um, and we thank you that you adopt us and that you call us daughters and sons, and you have a future for us. And um, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to, to know that, Uh, We feel the person's hand next to us, and it's a reminder, Lord Jesus, that um, you took on a body, and you held hands and embraced your parents uh, who sinned against you, and um, you embraced those that you loved, and you embraced those um, who uh, betrayed you, and Lord, we long to, to be able to live that way and to have that kind of freedom. So Lord, we just ask that you would teach us, Jesus, the love of our Father. Thank you that that by faith you will unite anyone to you and bring them into your family. Uh, Heal us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say